So I'm just finishing up in the woods and I was trying to go back to memorizing uh, the daily teachings of Christ. And one of the teachings from today is John chapter 4, 23 through 24, where Jesus says to the woman at the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman at the well, he says to her that yet a time is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the type of worshipers, the true worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship Him in spirit and truth. This is the scripture. That last scripture, the last part of it, that God is spirit and must be worshipped in spirit and truth. So critical of a scripture that most people, I think, including myself, would have a tendency to just blow right over and go, Oh, that's, that's cool. They must worship in spirit, little s, and truth. To me, this means we must worship God from our hearts. An internal worship. Not just the religious external. Not just the motions on the outside. But that it must be coming from our spirit, little s, communing with the big S, founded on the big T, truth. It's a little T in the word, but it's for all practical purposes a big T, truth. So, the quick thought on this is that if we do not have a proper understanding of who God is, we are not worshiping Him in truth. We are false worshipers. It's that simple. The Father seeks true worshipers that worship Him in spirit and truth, which means if we are worshiping Him um, even in spirit, but in error, we are false worshipers. If we do not have a true understanding of who God is based upon His Word, and we have a skewed image of God, we are a false worshiper. I think to all of us, there is a period of time where our knowledge and understanding of God is growing. So people do not come to God, I don't think, and instantly know who He is, such that they can perfectly follow this. You should be growing in the truth, but I see very many Christians, in particular Charismatics, who worship the God worship God without a doubt, with great zealousness, but not in truth. They have a skewed view of who God is and how He operates. So they are false worshipers. You can't conclude anything else from that passage. So last night I got invited to go to a an Alpha course, Bible study that some of my guys, two of my guys in my Bible Wednesday night class had been going to and wanted me to come, said that I needed to be there to help some people, as one guy put it, and just be there to share some stuff. I was a little reluctant, but I decided to go, and I went. It was at a Methodist church, and the thing that I noticed immediately is just how, as I look around the room, I saw people that looked to me to be a lot more religious, meaning these were people who had the habit of Christianity in church more so than the spirit of Christianity and of Christ. And I could just, this is just a quick assessment. Well, they started watching one of the videos and the guy was talking about healing and he started bringing up this guy named John Wimber who's the founder of the Vineyard Church movement. And and of course the guy in the video is praising these weird experiences he had with this guy and how it opened his eyes. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time going, goodness gracious, this is what I just came out of. Helping people understand the error of people like John Wimber and 
the vineyard movement and the new apostolic revival and all that craziness that people got into. And I'm thinking, I thought the Alpha Course was a very basic course. And now this guy is, is introducing John Wimber, who I believe was a, a false prophet and somebody who's given to uh, the kingdom of darkness, potentially more so than the kingdom of light. Particularly the fact that I've, I've read quite a bit about him in the Strange Fire book and know about the whole Toronto blessing and all of that. So, and I want to mention Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. In the middle of while I was watching this guy preach, I decided to go to Deuteronomy 13, which is where God lays down some of the restrictions and the requirements of a prophet of God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 13, the first couple of verses, it talks about the fact that there may be a prophet or a dreamer among you who dreams visions, speaks words, and they may perform miraculous signs and wonders, even if what they say comes true. If they tell you, come, let us worship false god, do not go with them, do not believe them, and that prophet should be put to death. And you think to yourself, well, how in the world could a false prophet do false signs and wonders? And there's the answer. The answer is that the Lord did this to test you to see whether or not you would obey his commands. I tell you, that is a scripture that every charismatic on the planet, I feel like, should meditate on, understanding that just because you see somebody in church be able to, quote, read your mail and tell you of things in your past does not mean that it's coming from the Spirit of God. It could easily be coming from a spirit of divination, which is a spirit of, of darkness. Or it could be that God is using a rebellious prophet for the purposes of testing those in the body of Christ to see if they will adhere to truth or if they given to, are they given to chase error if it will meet their needs. So I went through that last night. I was a little upset. Then we ended up going to... Um, a little chapel room in the bottom of the church. And we got in there and it just seemed so cold to me. Not that there has to be huge emotion all the time when it relates to God. And that some emotion is is uh, not founded on truth either. But it just seems so cold and it seems so external. And as I thought about this scripture in John four twenty three through 24 about the true worshipers must worship God in spirit and in truth, I start to think of the Pharisees and I start to think of the Jewish leaders and that uh, the Bible story where Jesus is praying through his spirit and in truth to his Father on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Jews are standing in this very kind of uh, very official uh, worship room with they're burning the incense and you know, it's just very religious. They have all their clothes on and they have their words just right and it seems so reverent. And yet you can clearly see they're worshiping God in error. And it's a religion, not a... Oh, here comes an Apache helicopter. Anyhow, I just walked away going, man, this is what it looks like when people worship God uh, in the flesh or through religion. It's an external worship where God is saying they must worship in spirit. That's internal. That's from your heart. And it just seems to me, I, I'm not judging all of those people, but there's just this coldness about it. And then, of course, they have a woman preacher who gets up and shares a quick word, a quick reading. And I think to myself, there's a violation of Scripture. Uh, when did Paul ever say that this rule no longer applies? Is it because it's now convenient and because of our culture and because it's, you know, we're, we're, we're to be updated or, or what have you? Is that rule no longer applied that women were deceived first? And that God, Paul does not permit women to speak in church and have authority over men, but should, you know, be quiet and ask their husbands at home if they have any questions. And I think to myself, that's error. In the effort to make people feel comfortable, in an effort to be modern, we embrace 
error. And that's one step in the direction towards opening the door. That may seem inconsequential, but it's one step in the direction towards deception. And how many steps do we have to take against God's word before God goes ahead and says, you ask for it, you got it, Toyota. Blind your eyes and allow you to continue to walk in more and more untruth until you receive in yourselves the due penalty of your sin. And God essentially turns us over to our stubborn, obstinate, reprobate minds. That's the way I see it. That Sure, there are some things we'll never know the truth of God fully on. Well, we could argue until the cows come home, but there are some real obvious boundaries in place that we are smart to, even though it feels uncomfortable, even though it goes against the grain of what the world says or society says, it is an open door. To me, it's an act of rebellion. It's saying, God, your word is no longer relevant. What you said in your word is old school, God. It's expired. This is the new day, a new era. And that's exactly what Satan would want us to believe, is there's a new day, a new time, new set of rules. Those old rules don't apply to you anymore. And yet God puts boundaries in place to keep us safe. It's not so that he can make women feel less than. It's so that he can protect his church. This is a rule designed out of love to preserve the saints and their godliness and to protect them. But a step outside of the boundary makes you vulnerable. And it opens them up to another step and another step. And I see when I walked out of there last night, I was like... This, this just, it just doesn't feel right to me. It feels wrong and it feels cold. It feels like there's no life in these people. They're trying to learn some things, but there's, there's just, it's just a cold, disconnected thing. And then we went to a meeting last night with a lady who was in the class who was a, uh, a realtor. And there was somebody that brought up an idea of having a house where it could be a gathering place. And the whole point of the house is for, for Christians to get together and, and have fellowship. And this lady started to kind of resist on the idea of, you know, making it overtly Christian, you know, because, you know, then people won't come that are afraid of it. And, you know, you could have some wine there. And I started seeing doors open up and I'm going, man, this is not the same spirit I'm interested in. This is, this is too, too liberal. She's, she's trying to, anyhow, I, I've already made my point, but I think to myself, that's that kind of heart that that kind of teaching breeds is a kind of a half-hearted, not fully committed, a watered down, you know, um, kind of a relative approach to truth. Man, that's tough. It's 8.33, uh, March 24th, 2014. I just got off the phone with the children and it was a just a really long, tough phone call. God gave me the grace to be able to get through it, but... I just, all of the kids with the exception of Tyler, and I think Tyler's just trying to be brave, but all of the kids, I could tell they just sounded really kind of hammered by this thing. And apparently I found out that by, by me missing, you know, by me not being able to come, they've just been so upset after watching my video. And I found out that the grandfather, Coach, spent about an hour, according to Chelsea, talking to the twins all about me and told them that I have rotten fruit. And she even said, Dad, he said the same thing you did. Because I'm always saying, just look at the fruit, honey. And I said, do you see Daddy acting like that? And, and she said, Daddy, he said the same thing. 
And she said, Daddy, he said you're going to hell. And I just, every time he would say something like that, I would say, no, no, no. So this man, even if I was the worst Christian on the planet, when I look at the character of somebody like Chris, who has a son-in-law who's a drug-addicted alcoholic, won't keep a job, can't keep a job for nothing, and intentionally puts himself and his drugs and all of that ahead of himself and doesn't send any child support versus a situation like me where I want desperately to but feel completely convicted that God is asking me to sit still and trust Him and yet it doesn't make sense to anybody but I'm willing to pay whatever cost God would have me pay if I know I'm being obedient to Him. But I look at Chris Kemper and how Chris has compassion for this guy who doesn't ever say the first negative thing about the the father to his grandchildren. And this guy has done so much worse than me. And they turn around, this, quote, Christian grandparents of my children and mom tell the children that I am of the devil, that I'm going to hell, that I'm a nut job, that I'm a crazy wacko, and however much he could get out of his mouth for an hour, trying to brainwash and just browbeat these kids. And this is just like what I told the father. I said, well, Lord, you're going to give them evidence that I'm everything that they said I am. And I prayed so long and so hard today for for and and I, I cried in the woods today and asked God to have compassion on them before I even knew that he was saying all these horrible things about me, which obviously he's been doing this for a long time. But And poor little Ashley, she's normally one not to disclose these kind of things or talk about it, but she went and found a secret place, secret place because Coach has always told them, don't tell Dad. So she's got a little secret place she went to And she started whispering. And for five minutes, she just told me all these things that Coach was saying and doing. And she said, Dad, sometimes when we go to school in the morning, she goes, Dad, he's he's nice to us girls, but he's mean to the boys. And she says, Dad, sometimes he stands on the boys on purpose. And I'm like, wait a second, is this still going on? And she's like, in something about in the mornings when they go to school, he does it, and she doesn't like it. And so my children are in the middle of an absolute war. They are being told by people that have them 24 hours a day that their father is a lunatic, loser, irresponsible, worst father in the world, doomed to go to hell. And here I am humbling myself, begging God to have uh, mercy upon me so that I can see my kids, begging God to give me money so that I can pay my child support, begging God to allow me to be blessed, to bless them more than what I have am required to pay, asking God to please be compassionate upon them and to have mercy. And you just see this such a juxtaposed situation. Tyler said that everybody was crying and upset watching the video except for him. And he's like, I don't know why they're all upset. He goes, this isn't going to be forever. Michael commentary. Tyler, what are you making right now? Burrito. Where are you standing? In the kitchen with you. In where? In a tiny house. Yeah. 
And so Tyler and I were just having a conversation. I was yelling from the little room where I'm doing the editing to the kitchen here where the very boy that I'm talking about in the recording is now a young man standing right next to me in this house. And Tyler and I just praised God thinking, look at this. At 12 years old, he is telling his other siblings, I don't know why you guys are so upset about this. This is not forever. One of the things I used to tell Tyler over and over and over is, son, I don't know how, I don't know when, but our day is coming. And I would tell him all the time, this is not forever, I promise. And it was very, very difficult for me. This is 2014. Tyler was 12 years old. Now it's 2020. Tyler is 18 years old, going to be turning 19 in September. And he had no idea that we were still going to have to endure five years of parental alienation. That's important to know. I'm standing looking at a young man who I've just heard me mention in this recording who is going to have to suffer an extra five years. And so I can remember how many times that I would tell him, Tyler, please believe. Tyler, sometimes it was so unbelievably difficult for me to be able to, as a father, to tell you, a young child, you have to keep trusting God. You have no idea. There was nothing that I could show you. There was no proof. Nothing in my circumstances were changing. It was very difficult, but I just knew to keep the faith. The numbers were the only proof that knew that. That made you feel yeah. that way? No, no, no. Are you talking about for me? Was the, was the proof. Remember, I continuously saw the numbers even after you left. Right. Okay. So, yes, this is something that you've mentioned just the past two weeks ago. You said that one of the things Tyler's making the point is, is that he started seeing numbers when he was with me. But even when he was no longer with me, he believed God continued to show him numbers. And he took a tremendous amount of encouragement from that because he could see that God was still encouraging him. And it's not a matter of him believing it. I absolutely believe it. And what the word of the Lord has, has said has come true. And here he is sitting on April 24th, 2020 at 1052 a.m. in the morning. He's sitting in with me in the tiny house. It is a miracle of God's provision that we celebrate. And so I also want to include in this commentary that God never gave me any real promises for my children like he did for a wife. God was using the 212 all these years to show me that I have granted you the desire of your heart. I have not withheld the request of your lips, specifically speaking of a wife and where God, through his incredible wisdom, allowed me to have a focus on a person, this Laura person that I believed God had called me. And I, as this story just continues to go on and as time goes on, I see the incredible wisdom of God to give me that placeholder because I was so anxious that I would have grabbed a hold of somebody else and would have missed out on Persis and all the incredible lessons that I continue to learn from having been married to her and the incredible providence that we saw of going through our marriage in India. It was absolutely extraordinary. But God never gave me a promise about these children. To this day, right now, Tyler is the only one who has escaped. The very one who you just heard in these recordings saying, I don't know why all of you guys are so upset. This isn't forever. He was always different than his brothers and sisters. He always trusted God and believed. Every one of the other children has been turned completely against 
both of us now against myself and even against Tyler. As it stands right now, we have no relationship whatsoever with the other children. In fact, some of the most recent conversations with his younger brother have just been nothing but cursing coming from the other end of the phone to both of us. Shocking display of satanic captivity in that family. And we just totally trust God. We have no idea if they'll ever come out of it. We've prayed, we've counseled with them, we've done everything we can to try to help them. But as of right now, God has never given me a promise for them. And I've always found that extraordinary. And so I trust him for his will to be done. Promises for a tiny house, God gave it to me. Promises for a place to put it, God gave it to me. Promises that, you know, actually when we went to pick up Tyler, that he would come with us and we would be delivered, guaranteed. Promises that I would be able to go to India, have the finances, overcome the Indian government restrictions, get married to Persis, get a visa, come back, get another visa to go back, go back and stay with her, overcome the whole visa process, overcome impossible odds. All God gave me promises for all of that. God gave me promises for all of that. Even after Persis fell away from the faith, God gave me promises and has continued to give me promises, even about my marriage that are amazing, and yet I have none for my children. It has really, really always been very bizarre. And I want you to see the main point I want to make here is that God did not answer my prayers. Look at how many times I prayed, God, please, I want to have full custody of these children. God did not answer that prayer. God, please give me an abundance of finances so that I can overpay the child support and bless my enemy. God was not going to be pleased to answer that prayer. He was going to just give me just enough to keep me legal for a long, long time. And he was going to continue to make me suffer for a long time without the ability to pay a proper amount of child support such that, you know, my own father was going to have to jump in and help out for a time. And my dignity was going to continue to go down. But this is evidence that God was not pleased to answer these prayers because they were not in keeping with his will. It is a remarkable life that I've been living that I can tell you that I do not have faith for much of anything that I'm aware of right now that God has not specifically spoken to me about. Everything that I have in my life and every person that's in my life is a result of God giving me specific promise, specific guidance, and me walking specifically in faith to the attainment of that promise. I don't think I have very many things at all of any significance in my life that are not there as a direct result of God asking me to believe him for it and trust him for it by faith. And if God has not given me a promise for it, I do not have it in my life. That is really the truth. I mean, when I said to the Lord, Father, you're telling me to set my work down and trust you for finances and not to ask anybody. You've told me I could put up a donate button, but to never mention it, never ask, never hint. Brothers and sisters, seven plus years later, God has never once failed me. That to me is one of the longest running, biggest miracles in my life. For seven years, I've never had to ask another man for money. I've never had to hint. I've never had to put YouTube advertising. I've never had to try to promote my ministry. I've never put links in emails. And God has, by his divine provision, let this be one of the greatest evidences of God in my life. Everybody knows that very few people give to anything and people don't value free. Very small percentages of people give, even Christians. And so you should know it is a miracle that I have never had to ask in all these years. God has provided enough finances even to this day to where I have not only been able to take care of my basic needs, Persis's basic needs, now Tyler's basic needs, and the needs of four children for every single month for child support and probably some left over for my own, my own ex-wife. God providing in accordance with his abundant riches, giving exactly what I need.
without ever having to ask anybody. That is an incredible, incredible display of God's faithfulness. Now, I didn't put God to the test. I did not decide to, I'm going to do a ministry. I'm going to prove that God is faithful and I am going to just wait for God to send me checks. No, God told me to do this. And the evidence that he told me to do this, and I heard it correctly, is found in seven years worth of provision that has come in and paid exactly what I needed to pay every single time for seven and a half years. Sometimes so timely, they make for a great stories in and of themselves for another time. Incredible. Faithful is our father. But I have a quote that says, I have seen many answers to prayer because I have had so many unanswered prayers. That's my quote, my own personal quote. And the point of it was that I have prayed so much about so many things. I've seen a multitude of answered prayers. But in the process, I've prayed for a lot of things like my children like this that God was going to say no to. He was going to deny me on this. And who knows? Sometimes God's, as they say, God's delays are not his denials. It may be that one day all those children come back in my life and they have the light of Christ and they're able to see the truth about who their father was and who their brother was and who their mother was and who Satan has been in this and who God has been in this and that they may come to the knowledge of the truth. That would be God's plan and his design and his choice. But I have no promises that that will ever happen. End of commentary. And I was like, Tyler, are you being sincere? He goes, what's that mean, Dad? I said, serious. He goes, yeah. But I think Tyler is, he has succumbed to it. I think he just kind of goes along with it, playing the brave. Sometimes I think he's doing that. And sometimes I really believe Tyler has been given this supernatural ability to see things at a maturity level. Sometimes he says things and it just wrecks me that... He's kind of like, no, Dad, I don't understand why somebody would be upset. I've heard him say this before about some kids at school were all crying and upset. And Tyler's like, I don't understand why they're upset, Dad. That seems crazy to me. So Tyler seems to be pretty unbelievably mature and courageous in this area, more so than he's been in the past. And maybe it's just the Lord's just given it to him, this the grace to do it, but man, it's such a tough, this was my worst nightmare that God would put me in a situation. This was the hardest part about it. It wasn't my worst nightmare, but I knew this was going to happen that by me really hearing from God, the 919, stay put, stay put, stay put, preventing me from being able to work and provide resources has put me in a situation where I've been so humbled Um, And it makes my enemy have all the evidence, false evidence that I'm everything of a rotten crook they've made me out to be. And then they're just pouring the lies into my children over and over. And I just begged them. I said, guys, look at my heart and the things that come out of my heart versus what you're seeing over there. Which one of that seems more Christ-like to you? And I said, if I was intentionally not paying child support, if I was intentionally not wanting to see you, if I was intentionally neglecting you, then your grandfather would be right. I would be one of the worst fathers he probably knew. But the fact is, I want to see you. I want to spend time with you. I want to send you money. I want to send you gifts. But God has placed me in a temporary restraining order, basically, to to prevent me. And as a result... It's causing suffering. 
And I had the opportunity to explain to all of them the principles of needing to put nothing before Jesus Christ and being willing to obey God at all costs. And that Chelsea said, Dad, how do you know you're hearing from God? And I said, honey, when you follow God and you take him seriously and you humble yourself, he begins to speak to you and you will know that he's speaking to you. And I got to explain a lot to her about that and that one day it might come up that she will be asked to do something difficult that everybody will think makes no sense. And I said, if I pass the test right, you'll be able to say, you know what? I remember when my dad obeyed God and it caused a lot of suffering and mom and coach and grandma made fun of him and said all horrible things, but God came through for dad. God delivered dad. God brought finances to dad and brought us back together. And now I know that when God asks me to do something difficult, I can trust him. So in the end, I'm really happy that it's given me an opportunity to share with them about faith and trust in God. And I don't have any upset feelings in my stomach Um, a year and a half ago, I would sleep tonight, but tonight I'll lay down in peace and sleep. And I'm so thankful that, um, the kids are doing better than, you know, I expected. Um, but they have really, really been hammered by this one, by the grandparents. I mean, I feel like sending them a letter saying, you know, but it it almost wouldn't do any good and it would just put more heat on the kids and I just really have to hear from the Lord on that. I've been I've been just trying to let them just beat me up and say whatever they want and I just pray God doesn't repay them because I mean even if I was wrong even if I was absolutely wrong and I was the most deceived Christian I knew right now They have got no justification whatsoever for talking like that about me to those children. That is horrendous for people that call themselves Christians. I mean, unbelievable that they do this. And I have such compassion for them that they are that angry and that want to vilify me that much. So... I just um, am trying to protect the kids about it because I don't really care what they think about me at all. I just care about making sure that those babies do not have any impression. I think I need to send them all a handwritten letter this week. I've sent the video. She's already saying now she's going to monitor every video I send them because of what I sent. I mean, it's just ugly. They have been completely isolated. My prayer is that the Lord will humble her tremendously. Take those kids away. I pray that those kids are removed from that home, that the abuse that he's already done comes out into the open or there's some kind of debilitating thing where they can't take care of those kids anymore and they need me to come get them. Something that God would vindicate and do it in a way that it was known that God moved the kids out of that situation because I trusted. Nothing right now would say that God is with me. Everything would say that I have been forsaken of the Lord and that I have trusted in the Lord for vain reasons, that God has turned around and given them the victory in the court. God has allowed them to continue to keep my kids. God is allowing them to continue to beat me into the ground in their minds. I have no finances. I have no freedom. I'm getting ready to be kicked out of this house in two months. I don't know where I'm going to go. And yet I have this unbelievable peace 
unbelievable peace that I totally trust God and I absolutely know that God will deliver me. Even if it's the day before I get kicked out of this house and my time is up, I know that my Father is going to provide and I have just been begging Him that He will provide me to have my kids full time. This is another thing this has done is this has given me such a big heart for having my kids full time. I thought that I could live okay with just having mom take care of them and me getting to see them. I thought I'd be all right with that. But the more time has gone on, the more I have craved to have my kids around me. Just the thought of them all sitting here in this room right now, being able to do things with my kids and pour my life and have a teaching night with them. I mean, oh gosh, what a fantasy. Have my own place with my kids where I can train them and love on them and teach them and encourage them. And I would have such an opportunity to show them the exact opposite of what they have seen from their mother and from that family that has done such evil. I'm not mad at them. Not, I don't hate them, but I hate the evil that they've done to my children. I absolutely hate it. And I want to be able to overcome that evil with love. And, and I'm not dare returning any remarks to their parents. I'm not saying anything to them. I'm just going to continue to trust God because I know that the Lord sees all of this. And it is my prayer that He takes care of it now and brings them into correction rather than them having to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ and hear how evil they were. I don't want them to have to go to hell. Not at all. That's a horrifying thought for me. I cried for them today in the woods about this. So, that's just a quick update. It's been really tough. Hopefully this is the end. And they're already saying, Dad, how do we know we'll get to see you for the summer? I'm going to really have to seek God's face. This does put more angst in my heart of wanting to get a job. It, it, it makes it harder for me to wait. It makes it harder for me to stay put in faith because everything in me is like, okay, God, we've had enough. They've had enough. I've had enough. Let's just go. I'm going to go get a job. Your word says for me to work, God, so I'm going to go work. I could do that and completely miss God's plan and God's blessing on my life, which will affect the blessing on my children's life. My fear continues to be greatest of potentially disobeying God than it is of me missing, mishearing God, yet thinking I'm being obedient. I would rather think for sure I'm being obedient and mishear God than to be disobedient and do what seems right or easy. Without a doubt. 8.48, I'm ending this recording. Go in peace, your faith has healed you. Oh, this is hilarious. I sit down to finish a little bit of my work. And I decide to check my email. And I thought, you know what? I wonder what was in today's Charles Stanley email. I decided to read it. I started laughing because it is so in line with what I was just struggling with about how 
this kind of thing with what happened with my kids makes me want to take matters into my own hands and go back to work and fix the problem. It, the flesh says, take care of this pain relief. But everything in my spirit says, continue to wait, continue to trust. Oh man, and it's so hard sometimes, but I just am so thankful for God to continue to encourage me to do this and help me. And then as I sat down and made this recording, it started at 8.55. And this is a scripture in 1 Kings 8.55. He stood and blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice saying, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses and I just cling to that that God is telling me that I will praise the assembly saying that not one word has failed I'm positioned now to be able to say this about God if I can simply remain faithful and obey him Michael commentary how extraordinary is this that just this morning I've gone out for my prayer walk and I took my little new international version Bible promise book and when I came back up on the porch Tyler was sitting out here and I said son I want you to listen to these scriptures this is going to be our Bible study time today. Pay fast attention. And one of the scriptures was this exact scripture. We're only talking about a few hours ago. I had no idea what was in these recordings. I can't remember what I said six years ago. And so here I am telling Tyler, son, this promise that Solomon speaks of in 1 Kings 8.55. I said, Tyler, and I put my hand on my, on my thigh and I just smacked my hand and I said, do you know your dad? can say this is true? Do you know that I can testify to you all these years later that not one word of every single promise he's given me has come to pass? I said, do you realize how amazing that is? How incredible for me to then hear after I've professed six years worth of promises since this time this recording was made, just this morning I'm testifying to six plus, really seven plus years of God answering every single promise he has given me. And right now, I'm waiting for one of the more difficult promises that I've received from God. And I said, Tyler, shall I now shrink back and say, this is too hard for God when I've seen him come through on every single promise? Brothers and sisters, this is the living word of God. This was a truth of God's word being shared by the spirit of God to a king who'd been anointed of God that is a principle of God, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who does not have favorites, the God who has seekers, and those who fear him and obey him. And I'm able to say, listen, I could die today. I wouldn't want to because I'm waiting for one last amazing promise. But I could die today and say every single promise, except for this one that I'm waiting on right now, has come true and God has been faithful. I mean, how incredible is our God. I can't put it into words that we have a God who is this faithful and as the world is falling apart, I have my eyes set on and my hope put in a God who has never once failed me and has never once failed any of those throughout thousands of years of man walking on this earth before their God can ever say that he has failed them. Nobody can say God has failed them except for those who are unfaithful, who didn't fear him, and who loved their sin more than they love righteousness. End of commentary. The word is from March 24th, 2014, devotional, In Touch Ministries.
It says, first of all, read John 5, 15 through 19. And then it says, throughout the Bible, we observe God at work in people's lives. Sometimes he acts in dramatic fashion as when he parted the Red Sea to let the Israelites escape from the Egyptian army. Incidentally, I use that exact analogy to describe faith to the kids saying, look, kids, they were saying that he was a complete fool. Moses, after he got him out of Egypt, saying, what are you done to us, you fool? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? Because it looked like they were doomed. And then God at the last minute does this miracle. At other times, it goes on to say, at other times it may appear that he's not taking any action. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that their brother needed his help. But Christ delayed before traveling to their home. In fact, he was preparing an even greater miracle. That made me laugh because I feel like that's what God is doing in my situation, that God is providing an opportunity for an even greater miracle to happen. I told my daughter tonight, Chelsea, I said, Chelsea, how do you not know that God is not preparing right now something that you're going to be living with me full time before you know it? How do you know what God is up to? We don't know. We just have to trust. And I feel like God is going to do an awesome miracle. I really feel like God is going to do an awesome miracle. The Holy Spirit helps us recognize God's presence and handiwork. He does this by cultivating our ability to discern when and where the Lord is at work. In addition to spiritual discernment, we must develop patience because God operates according to His timetable, not ours. Abraham was promised numerous descendants, but there was a long wait before his wife conceived. In fact, he and Sarah were beyond childbearing years. Impatience can cause us to take matters into our own hands and make mistakes. That I laughed because that's exactly where I'm at when I get hit with a phone call like this from my kids where their little world has fallen apart because dad's obeying God and they're being told that their father is of the devil and going to hell. Next paragraph, the Lord's efforts can bring delight as was the case when Hannah became a mother. His plan can also lead through painful times, which was Joseph's experience. Yet another example I used to talk to the kids about tonight. Before the Lord elevated him to a position of authority to help his family, Joseph was sold into slavery and unjustly imprisoned. Jesus told the disciples that his father was always at work, and so was he. We will be encouraged and strengthened in our faith when we recognize the ways in which God is operating. These glimpses of His handiwork will motivate us to stay the course and help us to maintain a godly perspective on life. Absolute incredible word after what I just had to do with my kids tonight. Thank you, God. It's 11.44 a.m. I just hit record on my phone. I'm on the trail. I just came off the top and... I've been out shooting pictures for my 21 Days to the Spiritual Summit program that I'm thinking about and praying about. I was just praying about the Father providing my finances and fruit in the ministry. I clicked the phone. It's 11.44, and that's a reminder of Jeremiah 17, 5-8 about the cursing of people who trust in man versus the blessing of those who trust in God, whose confidence is in Him. And I'm... Uh, just finishing up a prayer of really just depending upon the Lord and told him I don't want to do this uh, unless it's of Him. And yet I realize that God is the one who's giving me um, a lot of these ideas and and I know that I'm to, to follow in line with First Peter 4.10. Each one should use whatever gift 
he has received to faithfully serve others, administering God's grace in its various forms. So I am excited about doing this in God's timing and in His strength. And I just kind of laid back on the rock and looked up at heaven and told Him how much I need Him and His guidance and begged Him to continue to show me great and unsearchable things that I do not know. And just to lead me and guide me. And I have such peace. I'm actually feeling a little, a little, uh, tiny bit lightheaded right now and a little bit, uh, just kind of tired, I guess, a little, maybe almost a little drowsy. I realized I didn't take my allergy medicine this morning. Um, this new Dimista stuff that a friend of mine's been giving me to try. But other than that, I'm just real relaxed and have peace and had a great breakfast this morning with Bobby Junkin. And we were talking about surrendering things and he was bringing up how he still struggles with understanding you know, does he do one thing at a time, or does he put it all on the table, and why is it that some things are easy, and some things are hard to put up there, and I just reminded him that it all comes back down to, do we trust God, do we see him as some distant, disinterested, incapable God with tiny little T-Rex, short arms, or is he the God he claims to be in the Bible where he says things to men like Moses is the Lord's arm too short and he says that it is better for us to trust in God than in man and for the hope of the help of man is worthless and there's all kinds of blessings pronounced for those who trust in him and wait for him um, the Lord gives favor to those who fear him to those who hopefully wait for him Psalm 147 11 and so I still have circumstances that nothing has changed in. I do not have um, any good news whatsoever in the way of my finances. I had prayed the other day for God to just give me like $20. I never had to ask my parents. I was tempted to ask them a couple of times, Hey guys, can I? And I said, Nope, I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to pray. And... They had owed me some money because of a job I did for the thing. And my mom's just kind of keeping the tally going because she wants me to do other work. I told them I was interested in doing the work just to help pay for groceries I've been eating. That I, they didn't need to pay me, but my mom kind of is, is insisting on paying me. So the other day she came in and said, oh, here's $20 for just some pocket money. while you're." And I had been praying, God, I could really just use, you know, like $20 to be able to get a coffee or something here and there. I don't have any money. And... And, and so I saw that as an answer to prayer. I never once asked my mom about it. I just prayed and God moved upon her heart to give me the $20. So I see little things like that, but I'm still so humbled in my circumstances. I still have absolutely nothing. I still, when I get invited to go to, to lunch, you know, like yesterday, I ended up paying for my own lunch. I got an invite and I, I just don't have the money to eat out. And I don't want to tell people, hey, I don't have any money. I can't go eat out because I, not because I'm ashamed of it, but because I don't want people to feel manipulated to buy or to give me money, particularly those that are close to me in my group, my men's study and stuff. Jason took me out the other night. He's been buying me coffee. Chris has taken me to the movies a couple of times and 
bought my coffee. So these guys are helping me out. They are. When I go over to David and Terry's house, they're buying, you know, dinner. They're eating dinner. I mean, dinner at their house. And so people are helping me. You know, the Bible says you should share all good things with your instructor. And so I see that, you know, my guys are doing that. They're offering to help me, you know, and, and without me having to ask and without it being too extravagant, just God's been meeting my basic needs. So I had a, obviously a long conversation with my kids last week after about the 45 minute video that I sent them about me not being able to come. And I could tell there was a new level of sadness in particular with Chelsea, um, probably Nathan and, and Ashley for sure. And they had a decent spring break. Yesterday I had lunch with John and, and uh, Jennifer and I cried a couple of times, got tears in my eyes just thinking about how much I miss my children and how much I want to spend time with them. And I was really disappointed to, you know, tell them about how hard it is for me to not be able to spend time with them. And... Um, man, I'm just realizing that I think a bench has been stolen from out here. Somebody came out here and stole one of these nice park benches. That's disappointing. Anyhow, um, I am still having to just totally trust God 100%. I am still having to wait longer than I thought I'd have to wait, but I have had this incredible amount of peace. I have been very busy while I've been waiting for the Lord. As Charles Stanley points out, waiting for the Lord doesn't mean you're not doing anything. You may be quite busy while you're waiting for the Lord, but you're doing what He's placed in front of you while you wait for whatever else it is you're waiting for. And boy, that is so true in my life. I have been so busy and working harder on making these videos higher quality. Um, I've been getting quite a few positive feedbacks Although my subscriber base continues to grow so slowly, I do not know how many subscribers I have. Um, but over the last year, it's grown so, so tiny. Just such a small, it really is, would be considered a pathetic amount. But people that are watching continue to talk about how the quality is just over the top. I've told them I'm trying to work hard on making it a really good product and excellence. And people are saying, man, I don't see how it could get any better. And I, I just, I see it. I want to make it excellent to represent the Lord Jesus Christ and His talents that He's placed in me well. And I'm doing it for nothing except for to help other people. I'm being paid nothing. And I don't have any resentment at all about that. I've, I clearly have gotten to a point in my heart where I would do this absolutely for free for the rest of my life. My only payment being that the Father smiles upon me and that people's hearts are drawn to the Father in obedience and trust. And if every once in a while the Lord would let me know that, that would be great. But I still do have financial responsibilities. I still do have some basic needs and some basic desires. Not a whole lot of desires, but some basic needs. And so I'm still waiting patiently. I'm still in a situation where I still have no money to pay child support. My dignity is still gone. Um... And there's nothing I can do to prove that I've heard from the Lord to anybody, even my kids, but they're willing to trust me and trust the Father. And I don't have any new news. There's no new breaks. God hasn't told me really anything except for I did see 5.11 this morning. 
reminded me to endure. I did see 1101 one time while I was working on my uh, audio recording up at the top of the mountain. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we don't see. But I still, nothing has changed. My circumstances, this is the main point I want to get. I just am feeling so kind of ugh. But the main point I want to make is I have had my eyes on the Lord. And so the the, the dire uh, circumstances and, and potential really bad effects that can happen, consequences of me not paying child support, me not being able to take care of my basic needs, me having like maybe a month and a half until my parents want me out of the house and I have nowhere to go, I have no money, I'm still literally just totally trusting on God. And I feel like God continues to lace in 922, I saw it this morning, 919, and just continues to tell me, stay put during a long time. And, but I have had total peace, I've been able to so enjoy my everyday life, I have not, I sleep, I mean, I cannot remember the last time I woke up worried about something. I honestly cannot remember. It's got to be like over six months, maybe once or twice, maybe when I had that whole situation happen with that lady. Um, but other than that, I have, God has just helped me to sleep in such peace. I am in perfect peace. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. I think it's Isaiah 27. Chapter 3, I think. And that has been so true for me. I've had such peace. I just feel so relaxed. It's unbelievable. And it really, the answer, what is the answer? The answer is I have totally forsaken putting my eyes on my circumstances. See, when I have my eyes on my circumstances, it's because I feel like I have to take care of it. If you have a job and you are working on a factory assembly line, you have a responsibility to keep your eyes on the belt in front of you and the product. You can't just say, oh, well, God will take care of this. That's a simple, mundane task. But when you're waiting upon the Lord for something and you sense that He's telling you to trust Him, then you need to put your eyes fully on Him the whole time. If, if Again, it comes down to not putting God to the test. If there's something you want in your life, but God doesn't want it for you, or something you think you have faith for that God's not asked you to have faith for, and you can put your eyes on that all day long, and you're still going to experience the consequences. But when it comes to things that are out of your control, all kinds of issues in your life with people and things and all that, and you know that you need help, you go to the Father, and then you trust, and you give it to Him. And you ask Him to give you confirmation that He'll take care of this. And you ask Him to give you peace in your heart. And you, you, you read and meditate on His Word. And then you just keep on. And you develop a habit of always being focused on Him. And before you know it, circumstances, days, weeks, months have gone by. And you're like, wow, I haven't worried about that in a long time. And so this is a habit. This is the way it's supposed to be. That you learn such a trust in God such a such a, 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 a trained habit of putting your eyes on him that circumstances no longer have that weight. But man, I tell you, if I were to right now stop this recording and just start thinking about, man, I don't have any money. Man, I got to pay child support. Man, I'm starting to get letters from the, the, the department of whatever in Florida. Man, I, I've, I've got I've to get this taken care of. 
when the Lord has told me to sit still and trust Him, I could get myself completely worried. And that means that I'm now moving into sin. Because it, the Bible says it is wickedness. It makes it really clear that the Lord calls unbelief wickedness. That if we don't believe that God can deliver us, that is wicked. It's a terrible sin to not believe God. So, And it makes Him very angry. So that's a good reason to fear the Lord, is to fear dis, you know, disobeying Him and to fear doubting Him and not believing Him and not trusting Him. So the way you trust Him is you just keep your eyes on Him and you just keep saying, Lord, I know, and you believe in faith. Father, Your Word says for me to seek first the kingdom of God and Your righteousness and all these things will be added to me. Lord, Your Word says be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and petition, with supplication, submit our request to God and the peace of God will transcend all of our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And cast all of our anxieties on you, you because you care for us. That when I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. And you keep telling us these things, so there it is. It's all about constantly putting your eyes on the Lord. King Hezekiah, we do not know what to do in this great battle. We are this great army that's facing us, but our eyes are upon you. Circumstances can drown you if you put your eyes on them. And I'm just, I'm seeing that my circumstances stink. I mean, my circumstances are so humble that when I go to a singles group meeting, I have to be real, you know, upfront about, now I'm leaving, I, I can't go anywhere afterwards because I don't have any money. And I'm not going to tell people, oh, I can't go because I don't have any money. I don't want people feeling sorry for me. And I don't want people feeling like they're supposed to, move, to, to help me. God will move on people's hearts. And in the process, I'm learning to live completely without Totally trusting God for all of my needs, not men. I'm not putting my hope in men. I'm not trying to manipulate. That's why I've made so many of these recordings and nobody has ever heard the first one about it. Nobody's ever heard anything about me needing money or me not being able to pay child support except for a couple of people on my inner circle because I know there are people who would say, oh, we got to help Mike. And people say, well, Mike, how are people going to help you if you don't know? Well, I've been called to trust God. And to show other people that you can totally depend upon the Father, not on men. Because see, when you, even when you, even though it's a good thing to tell other people what your needs are sometimes, it can set you up to trust in men, not God. And such that once that person meets your need or people or a group, you have a tendency to run back and work a deliverance for yourself through other people and trusting man rather than trusting God. But if by my waiting and being still and quiet, and not saying anything to anybody, but to the Lord. I prove that God can be counted trustworthy in all situations, and that God can move upon other people's hearts to provide resources for my work when He's ready. When He says, yep, Mike's trusted us long enough, he really does believe, let's go ahead and help him out. And he knows that I've put all of my hope and all of my trust in him, and not in other people or in men, and what they can do to help me. I think that's very, it's obvious from the Bible that that's very pleasing to the Lord. But you can't do this if you're not trusting Him. And trusting Him means keeping your eyes on Him, literally. It means as soon as you start to worry about that child or whatever it is that problem is you're having, you have to redirect and say, Nope, I trust you, God. I can't do anything about this. This is outside of my control. And my worrying about it is going to cause me to sink. It's not going to do anything to help it. It's not going to do anything to help it. 
if it's a basic problem solving and you know that the Lord is wanting you to be creative to help solve a problem, that's different. You think about it, but you trust Him to help. You trust Him for the resources. But anyhow, that's my whole point is that I have been so content and uh, even though my circumstances are still absolutely terrible, God continues to help me and to provide for me. Michael Commentary. It was George Mueller who first put into much better words than what I've been able to put into the principle that when you are facing a difficulty or a shortage in any area of your life, physically, financially, emotionally, relationally, whatever it is, as a Christ follower, we are to be called blessed of the Lord by trusting in Him. Blessed is the man or the woman who trusts in the Lord. Our hope is in God. He is our supply. We seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and He gives us our basic supply and needs, Matthew 6.33. So, Mueller taught that when a Christian faces some sort of a shortfall, a lack in something, the temptation is to lean on the natural, to not run to God who's invisible but ever capable, but to run to men because we can see them and we can get instant gratification of making our needs known to them. But what Mueller explained was that when you run to man in the face of a great need, rather than running to your Father in heaven who is your supply, what you end up doing by delivering yourself is you end up actually strengthening your unbelief in God. Rather than waiting on God to deliver you, you actually increase your unbelief and you are less likely to depend upon Him each subsequent time. So once you have delivered yourself or you have found a way to go get somebody else to help you deliver yourself out of the situation, which is very natural. This is what natural men do. This is what the natural, heathen, godless men do. But when you go and you work a deliverance for yourself, the next time a crisis or a need arises, you're far less likely to wait on God even in that time than you were to begin with. And thus you end up living a life of delivering yourself one after another. And you live a life of trusting in man. Isaiah 2.22, stop trusting in man who has but a breath in his nostrils of what account is he? Now, I want to share something with you about how dangerous this principle is and how it actually applies to what is going on in our world right now. Today is April 24th, 2020. Our world is going through the coronavirus crisis. As soon as this thing began to hit, there began to be some YouTube videos pop up by a few people. I saw Torben Sundergaard put out a video that said, oh man, this is a great time to preach Jesus. This is a great time for revival. And immediately I said, no, it's not. There is not going to be a revival from this. The Spirit of God speaking to me is telling something very different than he is to you. You must be following a different spirit. Then the gentleman, Mike, I do not know his last name, the My Pillow guy, was seen on Fox News telling everybody in the face of this virus, having just spoken at the White House, that this is going to be the great American awakening, that there was going to be a great revival. Again, I shouted to a few people like, you know, people in my inner circle, no, there is not going to be a revival from this. I made a video several weeks ago and I said, there is not going to be a revival. You will see that in about six months, we will begin to return back to normal. And once again, we'll find ourselves as if coronavirus never even happened. It will be far behind us. We will have forgotten about it. There is not going to be any 
so-called revival that's going to come from this. This is not what the Bible says, and this is what people who are simply following the, the desires of their own hearts or the imaginations of their own corrupt minds, and they're prophesying the delusions of their mind and what people want to hear. I've heard many ministers telling people through this time all kinds of things they want to hear. Let me tell you what God has shown me. The most dangerous thing about coronavirus that people do not even know is the hardening of men's hearts that is happening through this, which God is actually allowing. In Revelation 9 and Revelation 16, the Bible says men get to a time and a place where they are no longer able to repent. In fact, when you get to Revelation 16, you've heard me perhaps in several of my messages say, how in the world is it possible that God could kill all the fish of the sea and begin to kill all the people on the earth and drop 100-pound hailstones from heaven on them And they not only are not able to repent, but they continue to curse God. I could never understand that. And God gave me insight. I used to cry out to him, Lord, how is this possible? Through this coronavirus judgment of God that's come upon the earth, the Lord showed me that God allows these waves of his judgment to come in in increasing measure. And the purpose of these judgments is not to turn men in these times. There will be a very, very few number of people that will turn to Christ. In fact, probably not any more than we're already turning to him under normal circumstances. On the contrary, these judgments of God have a very, very deadly poisoned tip on them that men cannot see and that people in the church cannot even see. But you will see it if you listen to what I'm telling you. You will see this happen as we move forward in time. God is allowing these things to strike men and cause their hearts to be hardened such that by the time we get to Revelation 9 and Revelation 16, men are no longer able to repent. Each subsequent plague, if you will, God's judgment, they're coming in like waves. I want to give you an example. Think of the 2001 World Trade Center, 9-11. Men ran to churches in pretense they considered humbling themselves before God out of fear, out of, a free, out of a fear that the world was coming to an end as we knew it. But within weeks, they cleared out of the churches and life began to go right back to the way it was. This actually serves as a type of hardening in the hearts of men all over the world that prevents them, the next wave of God's judgment that comes in, from being able to repent. God showed me a picture of Pharaoh. And that with each plague that God sends on Pharaoh, he tells Pharaoh in advance this is coming. And God always warns of these judgments. You can always find somebody on the internet who was able to tell and prophesy there was some kind of doom that was coming. Think of a man like David Wilkerson. But what God doesn't tell men is that when they stand up and deliver themselves from this judgment and they get through it, they will come through it hardened against God, strengthened in their unbelief. When you watch the evening news, you see signs that say, we will get through this. We will rise. We will overcome. Stick together. You know, this is not going to be forever. And you see a lot of the spirit of man, Habakkuk 111, guilty men whose own strength is their God, delivering themselves. You see men trusting in doctors, in politicians, in scientists. In all kinds of things, they're trusting in man to be their deliverance. What men don't understand is that each time you get through one of these crises, one of these plagues, just like Pharaoh, you don't realize it, but God is actually hardening your heart. 
And this is how men can go from where they're at a few years ago all the way to Revelation, where even when they literally see 100-pound hailstones, I want you to imagine that. Have you even possibly conceived of something like that? No, you have not. You haven't seen anything like that in the history of the world happen. 100-pound hailstones coming down on men, and they are no longer able to repent. And the reason is, is that there has been a total hardening of the hearts. You see, men don't even realize it. Their resistance of God's judgments is actually bringing the very due penalty of their sin upon them through the hardening of their hearts. And each subsequent plague, each subsequent 9-11, each subsequent 2008 credit crisis, which shook the entire world. Men don't see this. We'll get through this. We will rise again. Yeah, I lost my 401k. Yeah, I lost my home. But look what happened. By 2020, we were back to right exactly where we're at in 20. 2008 was simply an old memory like, you know, we've forgotten it like troubles like water's gone by. We've completely forgotten it. Most people have. Men did not humble themselves before God. They rose up in their strength and they decided to overcome. But the main point I'm trying to make is that with each of these subsequent waves of God's judgment, just like how they created hardness with Pharaoh, they're creating hardness with men such that when you watch Pharaoh go through each of these plagues, the Bible repeatedly says, and then God hardened his heart, and then God hardened his heart. There was a few times Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but most of the time it says God hardened his heart. And he even told Moses that I'm going to send you to him with this judgment, but I am going to harden his heart. God can make it to where you cannot repent. And this is truly remarkable to me. These waves of God's judgment are coming in now on the world, and they're coming in in waves. And with each subsequent wave, there's an increase. Think about it. Coronavirus has impacted our whole world. None of us on this planet have seen anything like this before. And yet, we're already starting to push our way through it. Just as I told you, within six months of this, we'll begin to move right back into a normalcy, and men will have no idea They will rise stronger, more unified as humans. We have overcome the virus. We will rise. Nothing can defeat us. We, it's like the Tower of Babel all over again. We can rise and build a tower all the way up to the heavens. We are the kings of the earth. Who can overcome us? Having no idea they're being hardened against trusting God. This is the same principle that is at work in our lives individually. This is why I've been so adamant about getting people to believe and trust and walk with God because days are coming where if you have not been walking with God and you have not known how to practically trust him, how in the world are you going to, when you're under stress, suddenly learn how to trust God? And you'll have no track record of his personal faithfulness in your life. Your heart will have become filled with unbelief. You will have lived a life not very much different than the heathens, and you will have delivered yourself repeatedly over and over again, and you'll have an unduly developed unbelief in your heart towards God. Oh, you trust him for salvation at the end of your life. You trust that he's there and he's in control, but yet you never showed him your faith on earth to allow him the opportunity to deliver you. Brothers and sisters, this is the kind of faith that God has, by the grace of Jesus Christ, worked into the lives and hearts of thousands of men and women over the years, the kind of faith that is walking by faith, the only faith that can please God, where you allow him to deliver you, where you understand Isaiah 64, 4, and that a great deal of your life can be pointed to in the scriptures. 
that these principles are true and you're experiencing them by faith because you're obeying them. Be very, very careful. Do not allow your unbelief to become any more hardened. The world is in a very, very dangerous situation. It has no idea that it has through this coronavirus, contrary to what all the false prophets and what all the false teachers and what all the people who are preaching the delusions of their mind are telling us, there's going to be some great revival and God is for us and all this kind of stuff. I tell you the truth. No, he is not. God is not for this world. This world is godless and he is bringing his judgments on this world at the last day. And unfortunately, what those judgments initially were meant to be was an opportunity to repent and turn to God. But we see in the end times, passage after passage tells us men go from bad to worse from deceiving to being deceived, that men are scoffers without the spirit, men abandon the faith, they depart and listen to false doctrines taught by doctrines of devils, they no longer put up with sound doctrine, they love everything in the life except for God, and there's all kinds of passages that talk about and prophesy about all this, which is why I have been warning and warning and warning. The more you love Christ, the more you follow him, the more lonely you're going to be in these end times. And you are not going to see any kind of a revival. It is not going to happen. We are going to be less and less and less. And I'm telling you this, as the world goes through these judgments of God and recovers and gets through it, these birth pains, they are going to become more and more strong in themselves and they're going to turn and look back at us when the pagan persecution begins to rise up against us Christians and realize we are irrelevant. We don't need your foolish God business. You and I are going to enter into more and more persecution as the world becomes hardened and hardened towards God and stronger and stronger in self-reliance and trusting in its own self to deliver itself out of problems. We are going to become more and more irrelevant to the point where we will become a nuisance. And that's why we are to expect a very strong pagan or infidel, not pagan persecution, but infidel persecution. I said pagan earlier. I meant infidel, unbeliever persecution. There's already been the pagan persecution of Rome, the papal persecution from the Catholic Church, and now the final persecution will be the infidel persecution. And then, of course, this is all setting the stage for Antichrist to show up as the world will eventually get into so much chaos, it will look for a savior, but it's not going to look to God. It'll look for a political leader, and that's who the Antichrist is going to set himself up as. And men, it will be too late. It will be too late. By the time they desperately need salvation, they will have already hoped in themselves long enough that they will have completely hardened their hearts, and God actually has allowed this. This is, to me, the most deadly and dangerous thing that people do not understand about the coronavirus that God has given me insight about on. And so be weary. You can't do anything about how the world responds to these crises, but can you trust God for your situation? Can the next problem that comes in your life, difficulty, in this world it's so easy, especially in the West, to fix it. Can you instead stop and wait and bring that matter to the Lord? And ask him what he says about it and ask him for deliverance instead of relying upon yourself, calling a doctor, calling an attorney. I'm not saying you can't use these things, but when your reliance is on them, you're in trouble. You've never truly trusted God. Can you begin to trust in him instead of calling a friend and saying, hey, I need to tell you, can you go out to a prayer field or your prayer closet and tell the Lord? Instead of calling up somebody else and tell him you need a place to live or money, can you try crying out to the Lord 
and waiting upon him and saying, God, I'm tired of trusting in man. Brothers and sisters, the people like little old me, if you say this is impossible, people like little old me will condemn you at the judgment seat of Christ. And people like George Mueller and people like Amy Carmichael and people like Hudson Taylor and all the names you always hear me mention who lived by faith, who trusted in God, who trusted the words of Jesus, they will stand and condemn you when you say it was too hard to trust God. That was back then. It wasn't for now. You can't say it's not for now because you're hearing a life of faith in trusting God in the wilderness. I'm not growing stronger in self. God is breaking me of my strength to save myself, and he's giving me very strong faith to believe for him. And I'm watching God deliver me over and over and over, such that now I can say not a single promise God has ever said to me has not come to pass. Every word has been faithful and true. May it be for you. End of commentary.